Good morning. Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, for being the kind and loving and protective Father that you are. And we thank you for the gift of your Son, who, forgave, who you knew would come and would ultimately forget, uh, die by giving up his life to forgive us of our, of our sins. So, Lord, as we are gathered today, or our minds be clear and our hearts be open so that we can hear the message and we can understand and come even closer to you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we want to welcome Andy. Andy will be bringing us our message today. So uh, it's always good to see you and see your lovely wife. So, um, all right, let's worship our Lord. Oh, good morning, everybody. So do you sometimes dread Christmas? There's some people out there that really dread Christmas, whether they be without family, lost loved ones, or they're all by themselves, or whatever the case may be. But the joy of Christmas, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Every year, people would write to Billy Graham, and they would explain how they dreaded Christmas. Their complaint often stems from how busy they're going to be or how much money they will spend. Did the wise men who journeyed hundreds of miles across the desert to seek out the infant Jesus ever feel that way? After all, it took months to make this artist trip, and they had gone great they had gone to great expense to provide gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh for the new child. As they journeyed and it came to an end, we read that they had exceedingly great joy. What made the difference? Their focus was totally on Jesus, the one who would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Don't let this Christmas season overwhelm you. Don't feel like you have to do everything or go into great debt just to impress other people. Focus instead on Jesus. Take time every day to read the prophecies of his coming and the wonderful story of his birth. Make this Christmas one of exceedingly great joy. And the hope for today, when you're tempted to count down the shopping days remaining or go over your list for the gifts for the hundredth time, or stress where you're going to have Christmas dinner, choose instead to focus on the joy accompanied that very first Christmas. Good morning. Good morning. If you'd like to stand, join us. Joy to the world. Sing and have an 
reading this morning is from Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. And if you'd like to stand with me, we can read through Psalm 23. Kind of a continuation of what we just heard. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 68 through 79. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. 
He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve the God, so we can serve God without fear, in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. Do a responsive reading. Give me faith like John's, O Lord, strong enough to believe, even in a desert that you and your kingdom are no farther from me than my hand. Make my heart strong like his, not swayed by trials, snared by false treasures. Give me courage to be faithful till your promises are fulfilled. Let us pray. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, you are the creator of the universe. You spoke and all came into being. So Lord, all then belongs to you. You have, for some reason, entrusted some to us. You've given each one of us some part. But you do call on us to give back. So Lord, we ask that the gifts that we give today may be blessed that they could be used to further your kingdom, to share your word with others, to make each of us come a little closer to you each day by learning more about, about your word. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Andy, I think you're on. It's my privilege and my pleasure to uh, be with you once again. Uh, as I told Tom, I love coming to this little church. And uh, I appreciate all of you. Anyway, it's good to have all of you. And uh, I, uh, I'm just most happy to be here this morning. Anyway... Uh, let's go ahead and open a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your words. Your words, which in a sense to us at least are ancient words, almost 2,000 years ago these were written. And Lord, we come and ask that you would bless us this morning. 
blessing mean that you shower your favor upon us? You give us your goodness and your mercy and your grace and your kindness. And we would pray that this morning as we would uh, read your words, these all-important words, that you would work in our hearts and our lives. Perhaps especially here at this Christmas season that we might draw near to you, draw close to you once again. Lord, we just pray that as I speak and as this congregation listens, that the glory would be for you. We pray and ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's go ahead and read uh, Matthew chapter 1. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew, the very first chapter of the gospel uh, according to Matthew. Gospel means good news. That's exactly what the word gospel means. So we're coming to share the good news, the way Matthew wrote it, the way Matthew wanted us to hear it. So let's read this morning uh, about Joseph, and let's drop all the way down, start with Matthew uh, chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man or just man, and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. In other words, he wanted to have a quiet divorce, as it were. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place so what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin will, shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took her as his wife, and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. For most of us, Christmas is a time of remembering. We remember those who are far away. We send cards clear across the country. I have friends in New Jersey, cousin in New Jersey, send cards all across. We remember to do that. We remember those who are close to us. We remember with gifts. Uh, we think that they will appreciate. June and I have a nine-year-old granddaughter, and baby Yoda seems to be high on the list this year. 
if, oh, if you know uh, who Baby Yoda is. Uh, we're supposed to buy gifts that we think will touch the heart and needs of the other person. Sometimes, however, you kind of wonder. I know of one husband who bought his wife a leaf blower. <laughs> the next year he got her a weed eater. Generally, the gifts we give are ones that we believe will be of help and will be a, a blessing to the person who receives them. We remember sometimes at this time of year to be, to be generous. Perhaps share a little more with the, uh, with the person who is our server in the restaurant or with the, the person who cuts our hair or the ladies styles our hair. Uh, sometimes we are a little more generous. But I want to talk to you this morning about somebody who is not much remembered. And that person is Joseph. And as you have an insert perhaps in your bulletin, Joseph was a man of integrity. But uh, whenever you look at the, your Christmas cards, you'll find almost always Joseph is someplace out near the edge. Or if you're looking, setting up a nativity set, yes, Joseph is there, but he's just kind of silent. He doesn't seem to say anything or do anything. But we're going to see this morning that Joseph is an important part of the entire Christmas narrative. Everything that we, that we look at and think about the Lord Jesus, in a certain sense, he touches it and he's involved, at least up to a certain point that that Jesus is at least beyond 12 years old. We know that. We do need to talk about Mary for just a moment because we need to set a timeline to understand Joseph, I think, and I'm pretty sure that this is right. Remember the angel Gabriel, he comes and he speaks to Mary and he talks directly to her and he tells her several things. One of the things he tells her is, that the Holy Spirit is going to come and she's going to conceive and bear a son by the working and power of God and of the Holy Spirit. He makes that very clear to her. But he also tells her that her cousin Elizabeth, uh, who was barren, was never able to have a child. And maybe it's hard for us to understand a little bit in our culture, it is important to have children, but back then, there was even a question if you couldn't bear a child and you were a woman and you couldn't have a child, that maybe God cursed you. Maybe something was really wrong. And so Elizabeth had gone all of her life and had not been able to have a child. Now she was in her old age. And we know from the very first chapter of Luke regarding her husband, an angel appears to him. Gabriel appears to him and say, you're, says, you're going to have a son. And so anyway, the angel Gabriel again appear, speaks to Mary, and he tells Mary, your, your cousin, some relative, uh, is pregnant in her old age. Though she was barren, now she's going to have a child. 
and he explains that she's six months along. And so whenever uh, the angel leaves, by the way, for, in my opinion, I think, you know, Mary says, may it be to you, be to me, as you have said. She says, behold, and the literal Greek says, I'm the female slave of the Lord. I'm going to do whatever God wants me to do. Remember, Mary's probably 14 years old. She's a young girl. She's not an not a older woman at all, but she's very dedicated to the Lord, even at this very young age. Anyway, immediately, it seems like, after Gabriel leaves the room, and I think she's pregnant at that time, I think once she says yes, I think she's conceived. Uh, doesn't say that exactly, but I think it's very likely that's true. But we do know that Mary immediately leaves and goes to the hill country to see Elizabeth. Elizabeth, the one who was six months pregnant, carrying John the Baptist. She goes because she thinks this is one person that will understand. As far as I can tell, she does not at that point tell her family. She does not at that point tell Joseph. As near as I can tell reading it, she immediately picks up and she goes to the hill country. Being a young woman who was pretty savvy and pretty understanding, undoubtedly she went and made that trip not alone, but probably with a caravan that was traveling up into that area. And so when she got there, and talked to Elizabeth, everything she had hoped for in going to see Elizabeth came to pass. You may remember when she comes in and she speaks, immediately John the Baptist leaps in the womb of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth says, ah, oh, you're the, the mother of, my, of the Lord. And so she, Elizabeth confirms everything that Mary had hoped for. She's somebody who understands. Whenever Elizabeth is about ready to deliver, Mary, who is three months along, uh, probably about at that point in time, three months pregnant, returns home. She comes back. I suppose that she tells her father, her father must have been near apoplectic, because as near as I can tell from one thing that I read, it's very probable that Joseph had already paid the dowry for Mary, or at least paid, paid part of it. And so suddenly he's going to have funds that he's going to have to return. He's probably talking to Mary uh, in some ways that are not very encouraging. He's probably exceedingly upset that she is at this point pregnant. It, uh, she's a slight girl, and on the thin side, it may be by three months that she's starting to show a little bit. Anyway, we come at this point, and I personally believe that she tells Joseph. Now, whether her father initially told Joseph or whether she does, I'm not sure, but I think there was a love relationship. And we do know that although parents normally back in that, in that day, in that culture, 
normally arranged engagements and arranged marriages, we know for sure from the Bible that there were times when, when a young man would say, oh, that young lady, she looks beautiful to me, and I want her, and would get the parents to work on that situation. I am of the belief that Joseph and Mary already had an attraction and already loved each other and cared for each other. And that's why it is so difficult for Joseph when he suddenly finds out Mary's pregnant. Surely he is saying and thinking, I, this can't be. I don't see how this can be. Well, as we look at uh, Matthew 1.18, we find that Joseph is a man engaged. Joseph is engaged. As a matter of fact, 18 says uh, when, um, that Mary has been betrothed to Joseph. Now, whenever I was growing up, when I was probably about 9 or 10 years old, I first found out what it meant to be engaged. And I understood that if the lady at some point decided that she did not want to any longer be engaged, would take that ring and throw it back at the man and shout something like, I wouldn't marry you if you were the last man on earth. Uh, unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, back in that day and age, things were very different. Whenever a young man, young woman became engaged in that culture, they were already considered to be man and wife. But for one year, they would not live together or be together or have any sexual union of any kind. They would, in fact, live that year separately, uh, but finally, at the end of the year, would come together. Part of the reason for that was because that showed that the young lady was no way pregnant and had not been with some other man. So we come and we look and we find that Joseph is a man engaged. Um, the engagement could only be broken by either death or divorce. It was that strong a, a bind, a, that strong a contract when it was made up. Joseph was not only a man engaged, but we find that he was a man of character. Matthew 1.19, the very first part of the verse tells us, and Joseph, her husband, being, if you have a King James, it says a just man. Some other translations say a righteous man. Uh, but what it means is that he was a good man. Uh, when we say righteous, we mean right-wise. He was a man that if he was a, a carpenter, a builder, as it were. By the way, the, the Greek word is technon. Technon has the idea, we get our word technology from it. So he was really a builder. He probably could have built you a wall as well as hung a door for you or built a door. Uh, Joseph was a man who would be just in doing that. He would be a good man. He would be a man who would not charge you more than he should, and he would do quality work. And he's probably 10 years older than, than Mary. If she's 14, he's probably 24, perhaps 25. <clears throat> but not only is he a man of character, not only is he a just man, 
But we find that Joseph was a man perplexed. Matthew 1.19 says that he is thinking about this and he is perplexed. It says uh, he's thought about it, he's putting great thought in. Matter of fact, I would suggest to you that probably Joseph could hardly, for a period of time, think about anything else. Mary's pregnant, and probably she's telling him a story about having seen an angel, and probably she's saying, look, you could go talk to Elizabeth, who is up in the hill country. But he's thought all of these things, and he's pondered them. He's wrestled them around in his mind, and finally he's made a decision. And his decision is, he doesn't want to disgrace her. He, he desires to put her away secretly. You know what that means? It means have a quiet divorce. You see, back in that age, back in the Old Testament times, conceivably a woman who was pregnant out of wedlock could be stoned. Now, that was not true at this time. We have to realize that the Romans had come in they had taken over the entire nation of Israel, and the Romans were in charge. And the Romans said, you, can't, you Jewish people can't put anybody to death. There were other parts of the Roman Empire where they trusted the uh, government, if you will, and allowed them to, to actually execute. Not in Judea. They felt that if Judea had the, the ability to execute that they might start executing the wrong people, people who were in favor of Rome. So they didn't, you were not allowed to execute. However, Joseph could have said in front of the whole town, my wife has been unfaithful, she's pregnant, and uh, made it very, very difficult for her. Joseph was a just man. He was a man that didn't feel like he wanted to get somebody. He just wanted to have a quiet divorce and let this thing go away. Joseph is a man perplexed. But as is really evident, in just a few minutes, we'll see that Joseph is a man of faith. He believes in God. <clears throat> he believes in the Old Testament. But he knows she's pregnant, and he's pondering, he's perplexed, the only thing he can think of is a quiet divorce. Notice in uh, Matthew 1, 20-23, it says Joseph is, is, becomes a man enlightened. He becomes a man enlightened. Having made the decision for a quiet divorce, he falls asleep. But while he is sleeping, what happens? He dreams. He has a dream. And this dream must be so, so stark. It must be a dream that is so real that it just impacts him, not only now, but for the rest of his life. He dreams that an angel appears to him in the dream. And the angel addresses Joseph as son of David. In other words, he's in the line of David. And this is important because he's going to be the supposed father of Jesus, and he's going to be in the line of King David. And here's what the angel basically tells him. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, 
because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid. And then he tells him, she's going to bear a son. She's going to bear a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. Literally, that would be Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. He's using the very name of God in the Old Testament and saying, this is going to be salvation. He's going to save his people. And then he quotes a scripture to him. The, the angel, I believe, quotes a scripture of Isaiah 7.14, and it says, a virgin will be with child, and his name is going to be Emmanuel, and that's going to be God with us. I told you that Joseph was a man who was a righteous man, a good man. He was a man who believed the scriptures. He believed this very Bible, these words that we have in our hands. He believed that Isaiah had written that. And once that came clear to him, he was ready to act and ready to do something very obedient. We notice that in uh, Matthew 1.24, it says that Joseph is an obedient man, a man of obedience. Immediately, we get the feeling as you read 24, and Joseph rose from his sleep and did as the angel had instructed. You feel like his feet didn't hardly any more than hit the floor, that he was on, on the way to work out and be obedient what the angel had said. I believe that that very day, the same day, after he woke that night that the angel had spoken to him, he was on his feet, and he took Mary to his own house that day. Normally, when they'd get married, there'd be a big uh, celebration and so on, and the husband would go to the wife of the bride and take the bride and bring her back to his house. I don't think they had the big celebration, but I think that very day that Joseph went and he took Mary and brought her to his own house. Notice that he kept her a virgin. Later on, I believe that Joseph and Mary had a normal, natural, sexual relationship. The Catholic Church is wrong when it tells you that, that Mary was perpetually a virgin. That's not true. It's not what the Scripture says. Because it says right here in verse 25, he kept her a virgin until she had given birth to a son. Also, you might want to check some point, Matthew 13, verses 55 and 56. And in those verses, Matthew 13, 55, 56, it names the brothers and sisters. Uh, it doesn't give the names of the sister. It gives the names of the brothers of Jesus. And so later on, she obviously had children other children. Not only was Joseph faithful in keeping her a virgin until the birth of Jesus, but he also called his name Jesus. He called him Yahweh is salvation. If you're a believer today, if you sit here and you've believed in the Lord Jesus, 
What one of us would not want to have the integrity of Joseph? Man or woman, we'd like to have that kind of integrity, wouldn't we? Uh, if we come to the application, at the end, we should say, Lord, help me to be just. Lord, help me to be right-wise, honest, and good. We shouldn't want to nail people to the wall. We should be willing and want to give people sometimes the benefit of the doubt, as it were. We should be like Joseph in being just and right-wise. We also need to be ready. We need to be ready maybe especially at Christmas season to hear God's word. We want to hear what God says. Joseph was ready to hear Isaiah 7.14. Are there other things that God's speaking to us even out of his word that we need to listen to, we need to do? Then like Joseph, we need to be obedient. If God says do it, we need to do it. If God says don't do it, we need to refrain from it. Joseph was a man of integrity. I'd like to finish with an illustration, true illustration. On Sunday, December the 22nd, 1996, a man named Carnell Taylor was working on a paving crew repairing Interstate 64 Bridge over the Elizabeth River in Virginia. The road was icy, and a pickup truck skid out of control and hit Taylor knocking him off the bridge. He fell 70 feet and hit the cold waters of the river below. His pelvis and some of the bones in his face were broken. Joseph J. Bryson, the captain of a barge passing by at that moment, saw Taylor fall and quickly had to make a life or death decision. He knew Taylor would drown before he and his crew could launch their small boat and reach him. The numbingly cold water and strong currents of the river could kill him if he dived in to rescue Taylor. He had a family, and Christmas was just three days away. Bryson decided to risk his life for a man he had never met. He dived into the river, swam to Taylor, grabbed hold of him, and he said, don't worry, buddy, I've got you. Bryson held Taylor's face above the water and encouraged him to keep talking. Then he took hold of a piece of wood in the water and slid it under Taylor to help keep him afloat. The current was too strong for them to swim to safety, and eventually the cold caused Bryson to loosen his grip on Taylor. So Bryson wrapped his legs around the injured man's waist and held on. After nearly 30 minutes, the crew from the barge was finally able to reach the two men and pull them from the water into the small boat. Taylor was hospitalized for broken bones. Bryson, the hero, was treated for mild hypothermia. Bryson later told the Associated Press he knew what he had to do when he saw the man fall. I have a family, he said. I thought about that. 
but I thought about how life is very important. I'm a Christian man, and I couldn't let anything happen to him. Joseph was a man of integrity. Bryson was a man of integrity. You know, probably none of us will face that kind of a situation this Christmas, but God calls all of us to be people of integrity, to be people who live for him in such a way that a watching world can see that we are people of integrity. Let's pray. Father, we come. We thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you'd touch our hearts, that you'd touch our hearts in such a way that we desire to be people of integrity in every way that we can think of, that we be people of integrity. Help me to be a person of integrity. Help each person here to do it the way that honors you and the way that pleases you, especially at this Christmas season. We pray and ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So this is Communion Sunday, and it's really an honor. And it makes me really nervous. But you know, this week, I've been thinking about communion and the suffering and the Lamb, the Lamb of God, and forgiveness that we've had. And without shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. You know, in the Old Testament, um, right after Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, um, you know, Cain and Abel came and, um, and sacrificed, and Abel sacrificed the first lamb. And that was for the first person. And then we go to Exodus, and they sacrificed, they the angel said, put the, put the blood of the lamb on your, your lamppost so that um, the angel of death will not come to your door. And so that lamb was sacrificed for the family. And then we went to Leviticus, and that was the atonement. It's actually Yom Kippur. And it was, it's still an atonement once a year for Israel, one lamb for one nation, the sacrificial lamb. We have Jesus, the lamb of God, and he sacrificed once for all men. You know, animal sacrifices is inefficient, and every year they had to do that. But Jesus came as our sacrificial lamb and died for us all. Um, so I know Rick had um, practiced uh, You Are the Vine, but I kind of thought Lamb of God would be appropriate. So we're going to sing that a cappella, if you will. And um, so I think most of us know it. Most of us have some words. If you'd like to um, sing as we prepare 
our hearts for the Lamb of God. Your only Son, no sin to hide, but you have sent him from your side to walk upon this guilty side and to become the Lamb of God. Father, 
we thank you for the message today. We do remember Joseph, and we should remember Joseph. He was put in a pretty confusing situation, but he listened to you. He had trusted. He had faith in you, as we all must do. We need to listen, and even though things may look odd to us, may look maybe dreadful, know that you're there and know that you will be with us. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.